Tom, you're being far too rational. This is there's a lot going on. The whole point of this is to be completely irrational and overreactionary. Hello, everyone, and welcome into another edition of There's a Lot Going On, the only podcast that knows the Wendy's 444. It's just not hitting like you used to. I'm David Royal, joined as always by Tom Shively. Tom, how's it going? Strong disagree on that one, but I'm doing all right. Sunday, uh, big week coming up for me at work. It's going to be a long week, but uh, we're ready for it. We're ready for it. So uh, let's get it. Big week for the Shives. Uh, I think I'm finally switching shifts either this week or next week. Sounds like it was a uh, hashtag confirmed, but uh, no one cares about Ooh. that. They only care about our hot takes, our hot sports opinions. And we start, as always, in the world of the NFL. We're recording this on Sunday, so we do not yet know the results of the Sunday night football game between the Eagles and the team from Dallas, Texas. But we will talk about some other games other than that one. So we'll start with the game of the week. We talked about it before uh, this week had started. It's Steelers-Ravens. The Steelers came into the game undefeated, and they leave the game undefeated, winning 28-24. to um, Tom, I was watching this game, and before we get any further, I got to hit you with uh, an opinion I hold here, which is that I think football has been the thing I have watched that has been most adversely affected by lack of fans because it just there's something about the game that doesn't feel the same. Like I feel like football fans play such a big factor into the game and not having them there. I've, I just feel like something's missing every single time I watch a football game. I felt it watching the Penn state game Saturday and I felt it watching the Steelers game and I couldn't figure out why I found football a little more boring this year. And I think that's why the fans really, I feel like add a lot to a football game. I think, I think it's basketball rather than football. I think basketball has a much bigger fan impact just because of the proximity of them and kind of the the showmanship almost of players in basketball and like the, the personality in basketball. I think that plays a little bit more off of crowd energy. And the bubble was great for what it was considering the circumstances, but you're missing something. Like Lakers won the championship at Staples Center. Could you imagine? It'd be crazy. Like they'd probably still be partying. It, it's. It, I think you miss that in basketball. And some of the football games we even had fans. Like even the Ravens game today had fans. I mean, granted, it wasn't a sellout, but. So I, I think you're missing a lot more in hoops. Hear me out. In basketball, right, it's so much about the personalities that those personalities just clashing on the court. You don't need the fans to add anything to the the clash that is kind of already there. And in football, I feel like I'm like today in that Bears game where there was a fight that is elevated by there being fans there or, you know, a big interception is elevated. The only thing that's really elevated in basketball is like Anthony Davis's game winning shot or the Lakers winning the championship. These are all things that would be even better with fans, but they were still really good without fans. The NFL and college football to me is a step down without a full house. It's just not the same because the fans are such an integral part of it. I mean, look at Seattle. They call their fans the 12th man for a reason. Like it, basketball or in football, it's so important to have fans is what I've kind of realized during all of this. I think that's a tough argument because basketball was all playoffs and that was all, there's just naturally more heightened stakes than there would be in a regular season football game. And I think you just generate a lot of excitement regardless because of the show and because of the kind of already implications that are in on those games as opposed to like a regular season NFL game. And, and, and I think you do miss more in basketball again, just because of 
how loud those arenas get, how intense it is when, especially like a road team does something in basketball, you you just hear nothing in the arena. And I feel like you don't get that much in football. And it, it's something that can't be taken away. Obviously, it sucks in both sports, but I think basketball still hurts a little bit more. Well, I, I guess agree to disagree. Uh, and we'll we'll talk about the game itself. You got Steelers, like I said, winning 28 to 24. Roethlisberger, a pretty pedestrian game. He threw the ball 32 times, only for 182 yards, had two touchdowns. Lamar Jackson threw two interceptions. Not his best day. He stood six, excuse me, he stood 65 yards on the ground. Just not not a great day for the Ravens on offense. But uh, Tom, just I don't know if you saw the game, but your big takeaway from the game. Well, it was kind of anti-Ravens because so much of their thing has been if they're ahead, they are going to hang on to the lead and just kind of cruise and pound the running game. I think they were up 17-7 to at half, if I have that right. And the Steelers were just better in the second half. And Lamar, even, even micro like anti-Ravens in the beginning when Lamar throws the pick six on the first drive and they're still up at halftime when you think, all right, this team can't play from behind. But they moved the ball well in the first half and then not in the second half, and the Steelers were the better team. And going into the week, I said whoever was ahead at halftime was going to win. That was incorrect. I think the Steelers made a lot of adjustments. They have a lot more pieces on offense that can make adjustments. Like Juju had nothing in the first half. He had a few big catches, especially that one on like fourth and one. It was third and one to move the chains late on that drive that gave them the go-ahead touchdown. And and those are the plays that, again, you kind of have to rely on those big weapons that Baltimore just doesn't have. Who's their best receiver? Andrews, maybe? I don't know. Maybe Hollywood Brown, like it's probably Andrews. And then when your best receiver is a tight end, you're you're gonna run into problems. And and I think these are things that are gonna plague the Ravens for the rest of the year until they get like a big name target on the offensive side of the ball. So speaking of Hollywood Brown, he actually after the game, I didn't see the tweet yet, but sent out a tweet that basically expressed uh, being unhappy with his role in the offense, and then immediately. Uh, deleted that tweet so he he had two targets for a total of three yards on one catch uh he had a touchdown but just just not uh, he to me is probably their best receiver and the fact that the ravens basically for two years have had no real way to get him the football and don't really know how to get him the football it's so strange to me because he's so dynamic he's so fast and to me he'd be an easy guy to be able to get the ball to and they've struggled I mean today their best receiver is Willie Sneed in any game where Willie Sneed has 100 yards receiving probably means you didn't have a great day on offense but uh, I think the more concerning thing if you're the Ravens is the fact that Lamar Jackson it seemingly has regressed from last year. You know, he had his sophomore year. He had that big, you know, MVP year. He was playing so well. And, you know, he's thrown two interceptions this week. His numbers overall just aren't as good as they were last year. Granted, he won an MVP last year, but to me, his numbers weren't so great last year that he couldn't continue something close to that. And to me, he's nowhere close to the quarterback he was last year. And I don't know if that's the league, quote unquote, figuring him out, because I don't know how you figure out the fastest guy in football but he something is different about Lamar Jackson I can't really put my finger on it I don't know if you have any thoughts on that I think you can figure out speed to a certain extent you can you know put spy on him you can contain more than you usually would you realize that they don't have weapons and some of the it's a league of adjustment and you feel like Lamar hasn't really grown much like you saw big steps between 2018 and last year and I hope this isn't peak Lamar I think he's got a lot I think he's got a lot more improvement, especially with his accuracy downfield throwing the ball. But 
he so far hasn't shown the steps this year that you would expect. Even a guy like Mahomes, who like won an MVP in 2018 and almost was better last year. I mean, they won the Super Bowl last year. So you don't see that yet from Lamar. And is it there? Probably. Is it there with John Harbaugh? I don't know. I mean, I think this is the right fit for him, but it there's a lot of work to do there. And, and I don't know how much of it is Lamar just hasn't improved as much as he would like. Because the defense is certainly you're just naturally going to be better equipped to face the same team the next year if they don't change anything. And that's kind of what it felt like with Pittsburgh. Is Pittsburgh's gotten a lot better and Baltimore hasn't. Yeah, I think the other thing too, you kind of already mentioned it. Or we've already talked about it a little bit, but I guess, I guess it's unfair for me to say that about Lamar Jackson when you know, he doesn't really have the guys to throw to because it's the thing we say all the time, at least here in Philadelphia about Carson Wentz. Well, I mean, look, look who his receivers are. And the moment he got Travis Fulgham and we found this guy, you know, out of the bargain bin, he suddenly looks like a competent NFL receiver. He suddenly looks exponentially better. Now he has a receiver he feels comfortable with. And I guess if Lamar Jackson is no one who he feels comfortable throwing the football to, he's not going to feel He's not going to look comfortable throwing the football like he has all year because he still looks great running the football. It's throwing the football where we want some more strides out of Lamar Jackson. And I think you're right. He can get there. But the question is, what needs to be done to get him there? Exactly. How much can you blame him when he doesn't have the pieces? Even like someone like Kyler Murray comes to mind where, you know, he's got a veteran in Fitzgerald. He's got DeAndre Hopkins. They went out and got a big time top 10, maybe top five receiver in the league. And so when you have those targets, Christian Kirk is a good third option too. He might even be the second option over Fitz. But when you have those weapons and you have a little bit of a security blanket where you know that, all right, if I throw it up, Hop's going to catch it. it it's, there are some throws that it's just going to happen. And so Kyler can have a little bit more freedom than, say, Lamar does. And it inspires your confidence. And the, uh, the Cardinals are a lot better this year, certainly because of Hopkins. And the Ravens so far are not better than they were last year. Is there a deal you think the Ravens can make to help boost their offense because I think clearly the running game is not the problem they had three guys today go over 50 yards like they they had almost they had over 260 yards on the ground they're clearly going to be able to run the football like who who is the guy who they can make a deal for that might be worth something that can elevate them I mean like Julio comes to mind but they're never going to pull something for that I don't know what their draft capital looks like I know they didn't they trade away a bunch to move down the year they got Lamar I don't really remember that draft um but I remember they traded back into the first round to get Lamar. Yeah, they did to get him at the end of the first round. I don't know. I mean, maybe somebody in the slot. Like, I can't even think of someone that just magically fixes them. That wouldn't be an absurd bar, like an absurd deal to pull off. But that's the thing, right? If Julio is available, which I I don't know how accurate the reports are there because he's maybe the best receiver in the NFL. But if Julio is available, you have to make that deal because. Julio Jones completely changes your team. It, it, you know, Hollywood Brown's issue right now, I think might be, there's a lot of focus on him. If you have Julio on the other side, now all of a sudden it's a lot easier to get your tight end Andrews open. It's a lot easier to get Hollywood open. You know, Willie Sneed is now your third option, which is a great spot to have Willie Sneed in. He just can't be your first or second option. So uh, I, I think Julio is the guy that fits the most, but everyone else who I think could be a fit is either hurt or playing in their division. You know, OBJ for the Browns, I think he'll get dealt this offseason, but they're not going to trade him to the Ravens. You know, some someone like Alshon Jeffrey is available, but Alshon Jeffrey to me is not the kind of guy that elevates them enough where that deal would be worth it for them to make. And 
you know, it's guys like that where I just have a hard time coming up with any names for someone who would be worth trading the capital that it might take to get them. So maybe Julio Jones is a guy that they can make something happen for. And if he is available, I think the Ravens need to do everything in their power to try and get him there. Maybe a guy like Kenny Galladay, I'm sure he might be available in Detroit because he's going to be a free agent this offseason. Maybe he's the kind of guy, because I mean, I don't know about you, but I love Kenny Galladay. So, I mean, it's a very interesting scenario they're in. He got hurt today, though. I mean, like, this isn't a guy oh. you can pull this year. Like, I mean, the trade deadline is what, Tuesday? I did not know he got hurt today. So that is, uh. You're, like, you're, you're running out of time if you're Baltimore. And I don't, like, this isn't a team that can beat the Chiefs. And I, I think that's the bar. They can't even beat the Steelers, let alone the Chiefs. And so it, you're kind of just treading water at this point when you're Baltimore. Like, you know, you're going to go 12 and 4, and you know you're, you might lose in the divisional round, and you're going to go, what could we have done differently? And the answer is a receiver, but. The, the, who's out there like nobody exactly we just hashed through everybody and it's tough it's tough since you put it out there this is not based on the chiefs performance today at all but i'll just gonna put this out there uh i think they're the only team that can win the the afc uh the steelers today they're the ravens didn't play well and it was a close game late like the the steelers to me had every opportunity to go up big and put this game away and they just every time I was watching it, that I'm watching, I'm like, man, this game is either really boring or both these offenses are just not fun to watch. And the Steelers have so many options. And to me, Big Ben holds them back. Uh, he he to me can maybe give you two, three throws a game. And I think any issue, the issue they have playing the Chiefs, and we kind of talked about it. Even if they're up on the Chiefs, the Chiefs are going to be able to put points on them. And you know, you're, it's going to take a Herculean effort by the Steelers' defense, in my opinion, to be able to beat the the Chiefs. And I just don't know if the defense has that much in them. I, I think they're good, and I think, you know, they're one of the better defenses in the league. But there's just something about the Chiefs that I, I don't think the Steelers can beat them. Yeah, they've got the best chance. I think they got a better chance than the Ravens or the Titans do. But stopping Mahomes is I mean obviously it was the Jets today and and that was never really going to be a close game but even the one game the one game they lost to Oakland was like 40 to 32 so it's not like they're putting goose eggs up on on offense and then their last playoff loss to the Pats they still put up 39 and and it's just you have to you almost have to score 45 to beat them and I don't think the Ravens can really score 45 against them and the Steelers with Ben yeah it's going to be tough and you even look at the NFC, like Seattle's got the offense, but they're horrible on defense. So who do you look at in the NFC that can beat them? Like Green Bay looked looked pretty bad today. I mean, the Saints are struggling with the Bears. Tampa Bay, maybe, like maybe the Bucks are the best threat to beat them. But certainly looking like the Chiefs versus the field, Kansas City wouldn't be a bad bet right now. I think you owe the Bears an apology if they beat the Saints today, but uh, we'll, we'll deal with that next week if the, uh, the Saints beat the Bears. Tom, let's move over to a, another matchup. Uh, Tua Tungavailoa made his debut today. We didn't talk about it at all last week, but Tua made his debut against the Los Angeles Rams, pick up a win 28-17. to Tua wasn't really the reason they won. He only completed 12 passes on 22 attempts for 93 yards and a touchdown. It was really that defense that kept them in this game. You know, they had, an inter- they had two interceptions on Jared Goff, plus a forced fumble. I think one of the interceptions, no, the forced fumble went back for a touchdown. I'm uh, not really sure about any of the forced fumbles, but I know the the interception went back for a touchdown. So, Tom, just kind of, you know, w- what are your takeaways from this game? You know, Jared Goff threw the ball 61 times. Just a really ugly game if you're the Rams. Uh, no one's ever come out and been like, Jared Goff is 
is the best thing to ever happen to the NFL. Like he's a good quarterback. He's serviceable. I think he fits the Rams, but anytime he lays an egg, it's not. Uh, I'm shocked. You know, it's, it's another bad performance by Jared Goff. I, I think the takeaway is more the Dolphins' defense, who kind of doesn't get talked about enough. And this might be the best team in the AFC East. The Bills didn't look great today. Obviously, the Jets and the Patriots aren't going anywhere this year. So you look at they're sitting at four and three. So this is a team that could certainly make some noise to get to the playoffs. I don't know if they can beat anybody in the playoffs, but they've won three in a row, including a nice win over San Francisco. And we talk about how good the NFC West is compared to every other division. Dolphins beat the 49ers pretty easily. They beat the Rams pretty easily. And yeah, those are maybe three and four in that division, but they they look pretty good. And they, they've had some seasons that they kind of hang around. They go like nine and seven, you know, they beat the Patriots at home. They like, go on the road and beat somebody good. And then they're like, you know, the, the team is there. The talent is there for the Dolphins. But can they put it together in his two of the guy? I, I think that still needs to be proven. You give a little bit of a pass for today. Didn't play that well. They win. But they are going to be they're going to be maybe the most fun team to watch that isn't the Chiefs in the AFC over the next few weeks. I'm really interested to see how the Dolphins do. I guess that's the weird thing with going to two at this point for me because Ryan Fitzpatrick was playing so well. And yeah, the, the the calling card of Ryan Fitzpatrick is he's so up and down. You know, you'll get the incre- the insanely high Fitz magics and then you'll get the insanely low Ryan Fitzpatrick. Like it, it's such a roller coaster with him. But Tua, Tua today to me doesn't look like a guy who's ready to play in the NFL. I mean, you saw that first play of the game just didn't get rid of the ball as the pocket collapsed around him and just got crushed by Aaron Donald. Like he he to me is not a guy who looked ready for the NFL yet. And I think it would have been worth sitting him for the rest of the year because to me, what's the worst thing that happens? Ryan Fats. Fitzpatrick is loved by that team. He had the locker room. You let him finish out the year. If he plays well, great. They're a playoff team. If he plays poorly, great. You have a top 10 pick and you have someone you can put around Tua and you're not going to destroy the kid's confidence if he goes out there and struggles. So to me, putting Tua out there this early is super weird to me. And I don't know, I don't know why, why now was the time to do it. I have actually always been an advocate of putting rookie quarterbacks into the game. I think that's the best way to mature as a quarterback is to get live game action. And you phrased the, what's the worst thing that can happen with Fitzpatrick with Tua? They've, they have a bad year. Like he learns, he grows Kyler Murray. They stunk last year, but he still developed as a quarterback. I think even, you know, guys like Cam Newton, they were terrible his first year in Carolina, but you know, these are number one picks, obviously not what was to a 13th pick overall, maybe something No, two was top. To, he, he was a uh, Was he 10th? He was fifth. Was he that high? Really? Okay. Yeah. Cause Herbert went six. That's right. That's right. Okay. So exactly. So you have a top five guy and you're trying to figure out this is the franchise. A lot of the guys that have been, that have become franchise guys over the years are people that have started in their first year and just become I think you can make the argument both ways I think there's quarterbacks that work both but what do you have to lose if you're Miami by starting him and getting him game when you have a good team because if you get to the playoffs with Tua in his first year like imagine what that does for his confidence so it's a little bit of a risk because yeah if they stink then he's going to be like looking behind his shoulder all the time and there could be a confidence destroyer but when you have the kind of setup that you have this year where the Patriots are down seven teams in the playoffs this year. I, I I think it's a good move to go with him. And I always think trial by fire is a decent way for quarterbacks to learn and grow. Okay. Let, let me put this out there that if he struggles, right? 
What do the Dolphins do? Because I feel like nowadays in the NFL, you kind of know pretty quickly whether or not a guy is good or not. Like Kyler Murray was good right away. Like we saw it right away. Like, yeah, this guy's an NFL quarterback. Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, who went right after Tua. Like you have recent evidence of guys coming into the league and immediately either being like great quarterbacks or you seeing like, okay, that's an NFL quarterback. So what do the Dolphins do if he comes out there and isn't very good? Because to me, they're not going to have a pick high enough already to be able to draft one of these three quarterbacks. Like if, if say they're five and 11, like they just fall apart because two is not good. Like uh, there, is there a guy who's going to go in the first round at this point, other than the top three guys who's going to be there for them? I, I don't know. And I, I don't even know if it's worth doing that. Like, I feel like doing this locks them in. Like, you got to ride this out. Are you going to give up off? Are you going to give up on him after one year? I would, yeah. Look look at what? look at the Cardinals. The Cardinals after a year said, you know what, Josh but, Rosen, But they had the number the one pick. They had the number one pick. Kyler Murray was so obviously the best quarterback in the draft. That's my point. My point is you have like because you're not going to be you're locked into Tua you know, because you don't know you're how not gonna good the Cardinals are going to be with Rosen. You have no idea. They were like that's one year, and they gave up on him because they had such a better option. It wasn't because Rosen know, was bad. He couldn't get the job in Miami, and when he did, he was terrible. You, they, they said he's not the guy, and moved off to him immediately. And to me, that is the NFL. So now. The, the Cardinals did. Yes. So the Cardinals are now better off for it. Correct. That's because that's because my, they played him early. That's uh, that's my point, though. My my. So my why point, would you not go to Tua if you can figure out that he is? If he's not the answer, you'd want to know that as soon as possible. My point is no longer about Kyler Murray playing or not. My point is about what they what they do if he's not the guy. That is. I my think. Point. I guess I'm saying you want to know if he's not the guy as early as possible. Yes. No, I'm I I see how what I'm saying now. I I'm the point I'm not making has nothing to do with my previous point. Like I I know okay. that okay. I understand that you going with him now you'll know quicker whether or not he's the guy. All I'm saying is what do you do if he's not the guy? Because to me, if that was the goal, you should have started him week 1. Because then if you're bad, you have the opportunity to move off him if you think he's not the guy, much like the Cardinals did. The Cardinals had the opportunity to move off Rosen when they realized he wasn't the guy. They're not going to have that opportunity. So if he's bad, how long are they going to be locked into Tua? Like, is it one of those things where it's like you got to ride it out next year too? Like, to me, it's just delaying a team that is clearly, I don't know if you feel this way, but they don't feel that far away. Like, what they need a quarterback maybe so. a weapon two or more on offense like if he's not the guy but you're not going to be picking high enough to take whoever you think is the guy that's a terrible place to be especially as you see two other rookie quarterbacks light it up i think that's a tough spot to put to it and after one game i think you know he didn't play well but he didn't really need to with how good his defense was and how bad the rams were and so you haven't you haven't seen him in late game situations like you have with Herbert and Burrow. And yeah, you'll learn a lot in those kind of situations because every game they play is tight for the Chargers and Bengals. And yeah, they're not going anywhere this year, but that's invaluable experience for those guys. And I think you're pulling the trigger a little bit quickly on a guy who has had one NFL start and even, you know, recovered from a major injury just last season. He like basically got his hip blown up and, you know, was rehabbing for how long? Who knows if he was 100% for week one of the season. So I think there's a little bit of the asterisk with Tua. 
Tom, you're being far too rational. This is there's a lot going on. The whole point of this is to be completely irrational and overreactionary. No, throw a guy into the fire. Throw a guy into the fire week one. Like, get out of here. I'm always in favor. You get a rookie quarterback, learn. Learn about him. Let's go. Listen, that's something I agree with. Because if he's Ryan, not the answer, then he's not the answer. Like, get him they, out of there, okay? We're Find on the same else. page now. We're on the same page now. I don't get switching to him at this point in the season. Ryan Fitzpatrick was good enough. You might make the playoffs with Ryan Fitzpatrick, and then next year he gets the full year. It's clearly his team. I still feel like this might be Ryan Fitzpatrick. How can it, team. How can it be? How can it be his team if Fitzpatrick goes out and balls? Spin zone to his no, confidence. I'm, how is how is it if Fitzpatrick goes out there and is really good? What does that do to a rookie quarterback's confidence? It's like, man, I'm never going to get a shot on this team. Wait, wait, that's even your, worse than going. So you're out saying there. he gets hurt and then Fitzpatrick goes out. No, no, no. Well, no your your thing is like what happens. Your thing is what happens to Tua's confidence if he's bad, right? Yes. My argument is what happens to Tua's confidence if Fitzpatrick is like amazing and takes him to the playoffs. I mean, that's what like, he was that's doing. Also, that's also a huge hit on his confidence. But that's what he was doing. I don't this, know. They're three this... and three with Fitz. They're undefeated with Tua. Hmm, no. <laughs> okay okay i i see we've hit, we've reached the irrational portion which i appreciate so i'm gonna move on before we continue that conversation tom before we we go to a quick college football note news preview whatever you want to call it um we wanted to talk about some teams today who had some really bad losses a lot of teams this week had bad losses and so i'm we're going to pose the question are they frauds or was it a bad sunday so tom we're going to start with the Tennessee Titans. Tennessee Titans lost today to the Cincinnati Bengals 31-20. to um, Brian Tannehill threw an interception, maybe two, I can't remember. I only know that because he's my fantasy quarterback and didn't do as well as I was hoping against the terrible Bengals defense. So Tom, the Tennessee Titans, are they frauds or was it a bad Sunday? I'm, I'm going to phrase this a different way because obviously Halloween weekend, you know, people may be partying oh. a little bit more on Saturday night. The clocks switched this morning. So, you know, maybe the body is just a little bit off this week and that's why teams are bad or maybe they're just bad. So are they frauds or do we blame Halloween slash the clocks? That, that's how we're going here. Tennessee, oh, okay. I'm calling them frauds. Like they, again, we went over their schedule before they played the Steelers. They had... I'm not going to pull it up, but they play in the AFC South, which is an awful division. And they, you know, their best win was Texans, maybe. I, I mean, who did they beat? I, I got to pull it up now because I'm not going to remember. But the point is, their two biggest games of the year so far. The point is, their two biggest games of the year so far, and they fell on flat. I mean, they, they crushed y- the Bills. You can't really do that when you can't go out and lose to the Bengals. Who are what I will say about the Bengals is they've played enough close games. You just feel like they had to win one eventually, and so maybe it's Joe Burrow's a great quarterback. He's he's shown everything that you could ever want from a number one pick, and maybe Joe Burrow is just better than them. But I think the expectation for Tennessee has to be we're going to contend and win the AFC, and the Kansas City Chiefs would not go out and have this kind of performance. You know, the Steelers would not go out and have this kind of performance. And I think that's the bar you have to set. If you're Tennessee and they, they were just, they haven't played well the last couple of weeks and I haven't been impressed by them since like week three. So I famously a few weeks ago picked them to uh, go to the Super Bowl, of course. And since then they've lost two straight. So this might just be the David Arroyo curse. We'll have to wait and see. I am going to go with that. I'm, I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to backtrack and say they're frauds. Back-to-back weeks, Ryan Tannehill has had the exact same 18 for 30. That is just not good enough. He's thrown for under 250 yards in both games, and he threw an interception today. He, If he's not good, they can't win the AFC. 
And right now, he's not good. He's regressed back to the Ryan Tannehill we saw in Miami. So maybe we all should apologize to Adam Gase. JK, keep trashing Adam Gase. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with their frauds. I, I think they might be frauds. Uh, Tom, the Cleveland Browns lost one today to the Oakland Raiders, 16-6. to So they're now 5-3. and three. Uh, I'm not sure if they were favored in this game or not. But again, didn't play well. People got kind of hype on them after they beat the Bengals last week. So Tom, frauds or is it Halloween related? They were a one-point favorites against the Oakland Raiders today. They're frauds. You can't you can't score six points against the Raiders. Like they they're good, but they they get blown out by good teams, and it's just they, they win all these tight games against mediocre teams, and and, and it's like the six seed recipe to a T for every year in the playoffs, and they always get spanked in the first round. So yeah, they might make the playoffs, and it'll be a feel good year for the Browns, but. That they're not doing anything, so they're frauds. Yeah, I think, I think again, Browns, I think again, a team with a lot of expectations. Sorry to cut you off, and just good. falling short of that. Yeah, I think the Browns have big fraud energy. I mean, five and three, they realistically have one player every other team in the league would want, and that's Miles Garrett. Like, uh, I just this, and I guess OBJ, but he's hurt now. So, I mean, I think that I've said this for a while, and the Bengals game didn't change us because it's the Bengals. Baker Mayfield is not good. He is not the answer at quarterback. I'm, I'm okay to say I was wrong about that. And they need to start looking at the future. I don't know who's going to be available to them in this draft once again, but he's not the guy. He's not going to win them Super Bowl. He won't even win them a division. He's currently the fourth best quarterback in his division. And that's not great because Joe Burrow's a rookie. Yeah, it's not great when your number one quarterback that you picked three years ago is is bottom when two quarterbacks that have been taken in the first round since then are already well better than him. It's very Cleveland Browns to get the number one pick in the only year where the only good quarterback went 28th, right? Isn't that where Lamar Jackson went? I think he was like the no, he was, he was 32nd. Last pick in the he draft. was last. Yeah, he was 32nd. Yeah, he used that Eagles pick. Shout out to the former Super Bowl champion Eagles. Uh, Tom. Oh, they're still champs. That never gets taken away. Come on. Uh, yes, but you know, football, it's very like yeah, on to the okay. next year. I understand. So I understand. They haven't been champs for a couple years now. Tom, the. Green Bay Packers, I don't know how many in a row this is, but I, I think this might be their seventh straight, I think I saw, Daylight Savings Time lost. So the Packers for seven straight years have lost on this weekend when we pushed the clocks back an hour. So Tom, the Green Bay Packers losing to the Minnesota Vikings 28-22, are they frauds or was it a bad Sunday? I think Minnesota's been so bad this year, you kind of expected a they're not a one in five team and i think the vikings are a lot better than the record indicates and you saw how good cook today was you didn't get a great effort from the packers defense and you mentioned the stat like you have to blame the clocks you have to blame halloween this weekend on the packers i think they're still in a great spot in the division they're five and two they're at the moment tied with the bears who are yet to finish against the saints so that could change momentarily but you look at the NFC's wide open. This team's right there. They have the talent. Anytime you have Aaron Rodgers, you got a pretty good chance of winning any game you're in. And I think they're in a decent spot. And yeah, it was underwhelming today, but they'll be okay. Saints, uh, two minutes left are driving, though, for the record on the Bears. So the Packers looks like they might still be holding on to first place. Tom, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I think the Packers are frauds. I think this is the second time this year where we saw the Packers get pushed around. 
They got pushed around against the Buccaneers. And then the Vikings went out this week and said, you know what? We're just going to run the ball down your throat. Good luck stopping it. And they couldn't. And to me, the moment they hit the playoffs, they're going to get pushed around by a team who's just far more physical than them. And I don't know what it is, but they they play finesse. The moment Aaron Rodgers feels any little bit of heat, he just crumbles. And it's weird. They're a team that... You know, everything about them. You look at the package, you're like, wow, they're a good team. They should be really good. And then they put performances up like this against the Vikings, and they put performances up like they did against the Bucs. This is a fraudulent team. This team can't. Some people talk about them like Super Bowl contenders, and they are nowhere close to being Super Bowl contenders in my eyes. I think you're looking at the team that could legitimately be in the NFC Championship, though, because those playoff games are going to be at Lambeau because I think they're going to win the division. And those are the expectations. So they're right where they expected to be at the beginning of the year. Yeah, but they were there last year too and then got mollywopped in the NFC Championship game. Like, I, they made it last year, but I didn't feel good about the. I wasn't sitting there like, man, the Packers are going to make the Super Bowl this year. Like, they were 13 and 3, and they're maybe the worst 13 and 3 football team I've ever seen. Like, they just, they weren't impressive to me. They're not that impressive. And to me, it's the same story this year. They might win 12, 13 games, and it won't matter. They'll get mollywopped by whoever they play in the NFC Championship game, if they even make it that far. Tom, last but not least. We just talked about them. The Los Angeles Rams, I almost called them the St. Louis Rams. The Los Angeles Rams, as we said, lost at a 28-17 to the Dolphins. So the Rams, are they fraudulent or was it a bad Sunday? Frauds. Jared Goff, don't trust him. I'm sorry. He hasn't really developed at all. Defense is great. Aaron Donald's great. He's best player in the league, maybe certainly best defensive player in the league. And... Man, they looked really bad today, and man, they looked really bad against San Francisco two weeks ago, and man, they just happened to play the Bears last week. That's all I'll say about their last few weeks. So I I just don't get it. They're not there. They play in a really tough division. I think this is a team that ever since McVay got there, and they kind of had that year that they – I think they were the three seed. They lost to Atlanta in the playoffs, but even going into that, it was – you know this team could make the Super Bowl. I think that is the expectation every year, and in terms of where they are versus where they expect to be – it's not even close. It's it's so far away. They're looking at 10 wins, maybe make the playoffs, but again, not where you want to be if you're the Rams. Tom, I intentionally picked these four teams because I thought all four were fraudulent, and yes, the Rams are also fraudulent. Uh, and just because I have nothing to add what you just said, let's just, I want to do this real quick. Here's their upcoming games. So they have the Seahawks, then they're at the Buccaneers, then they have the Niners at home. Then they're at the Cardinals. That is their next four games. They could conceivably lose those next four games and be five and seven heading into a matchup at home against New England. So they're, they are not in great shape right now, and I don't see it getting any better going forward. I want to give you a couple hypothetical matchups real quick. I have two in the NFC that could okay. be potential playoff matchups. Seahawks, Buccaneers. Who do you like? Uh, I like I stand by this. I think the Buccaneers should be the favorites in the NFC right now. Okay, Packers Cardinals, who do you like? This is interesting because I haven't been high on the Cardinals or the Packers this year. Like I, I like the Cardinals, but they, they to me weren't the team that like this year was going to be their year. And their style of play doesn't really work with what I think would beat the Packers. But right now, I'd probably pick them against the Packers because they have like they have an X factor to them that I, I just don't see out of the Packers. Interesting, interesting. I probably agree with you. I think I would have gone. I might go Seahawks against the Bucks, but I definitely think Cardinals over Packers. I think the AFC. Bucks, I would bring a couple, but it's it's Chiefs. Everybody else, so it's not that interesting. 
the Bucks have a defense and the Seahawks don't. Like I, I think we might be hurtling toward the matchup we wanted in the Super Bowl, which is Brady Mahomes. Like I think that would be a fantastic Super Bowl matchup, and it, it would just be it would be a lot of fun. I, I'm really hoping that's what we get because I think those are the two best teams in the NFL right now. Tom, I was going to talk about Trevor Lawrence, but I decided we're just going to skip that because the Eagles game starts in 17 minutes and we have a hard out today. So, Tom, we're going to move right on to Cash Your Trash. I still yet to make music for this, but we'll, we'll get to it eventually. Uh, Tom, Cash Your Trash, this week we were inspired by the fight in the Bears game. So there is a fight during the Bears game uh, between a no-name player, number 83. I don't remember his name, Sims to be honest. Sims is his last name. That's all I remember. Yeah. He snatched the chain of a Saints defender, threw a punch at him, and then I guess didn't get the reaction he wanted. So threw three more punches before a brawl ensued. So Tom, this week's topic for Cash or Trash is reasons to fight. And we start, of course, with the aforementioned chain snatching. So someone snatches your chain, Cash or Trash, is that a good reason to fight? Trash. Fair game on the NFL field. You're wearing the chain. Maybe it means something to you, but like it's for display. And so I think it's fair game for someone to just go rip the chain off. I love it. I love it as a move to kind of get inside someone's head. I think I think if you're wearing the chain, you have a certain personality to begin with and just get out of here. Get out of here. Trash. I love it. I love I love I love swiping the chain. This is maybe your worst opinion. It's so trash to swipe at the chain. Because really, what's the point? I, what did you gain out of that? And especially, like, I think the the Bears guy today kind of proved it, how trash it is. Because not only did he snatch a chain and then throw a punch and still didn't get a reaction, like, he had to throw several more punches to get the reaction he was hoping for. So really, what what's the point? I don't, I don't understand why you're doing it. It's uh, you got to work to get to it, too. Like, that's so... There's so much effort involved here. I, it's trash. Terrible reason to start. Start a fight. No, no, but that's not. It, it's not because. Are, are we saying that the the guy who got the chain stolen is starting the fight? Because that was my angle on it. And you're saying that the fight is started by stealing the chain. That's your take. That is my take. Because okay. if you're stealing okay. a chain, you're clearly looking for a fight. So it's a terrible reason to start. The guy who's just okay. wearing the I chain understand. isn't looking for a fight. The guy who's snatching the chain is clearly looking for a fight. Tom, we're going to move on to the next one, which is uh, hurling expletives at someone. So we all know how that works. You know, dropping an F-bomb at someone, saying whatever it is you want to say to them to get them going. Tom, is that cash or trash? Good or bad reason to start a fight? There's only one good response to someone throwing expletives at you. And it's, depending on the sport, either hitting a three in their face, dunking on them, going over them to get a catch. Bottom line, not fighting. So... You respond by on-field play. That's the quickest way to shut somebody up when they're running their mouth and not fighting because fighting just kind of eggs them on and encourages the behavior. We don't want to see that. We want to see shut them up with the touchdown catch or with the dagger three. You know, that's what I want to see. Tom, I'm in complete agreement. Literally have nothing to add to that. It's it's a trash reason to start a fight. Tom, getting caught cheating. Uh, inspiration here was uh, George Brett. He famously had a lot of pine tar on his baseball bat after getting, I believe it was a home run, and mm-hmm. they called him out because of the pine tar. So they, they determined he was cheating and therefore was out. So getting caught cheating, is that a good or bad reason to start a fight? So cash or trash, getting caught cheating, starting a fight. Well, that was interesting because that was the only time I've ever seen someone get called out like after the home run. Like they didn't just say anything after the game. And I think that was more why he started the fight, but... Like, come on, dude. You you know you were illegal. You know you did something wrong. 
what do you expect? Like, your actions have consequences. I know it's shocking to a lot of people, especially multimillionaires that play baseball, but trash reason to start a fight. Like, just sit down and, and shut up and just take... Because it it's corny. Like, it's corny to cheat and then be mad about it. What do you get caught? No, no, no. The, the reason it's trash to start a fight is because the people who start the fight are always the people who try and say they weren't cheating after we've already seen that they were cheating. And so it's trash because they start the fight to defend their integrity that they've already lost. So there's nothing to defend at that point. You're fighting for literally nothing. You've already lost all integrity. So why are you throwing punches? Like, uh, it's just very confusing to me to cheat and then start a fight. We don't have this one on here. Another really corny reason to start a fight is because you lost. Like, you just got to take the L. If you weren't good enough, you got to just take that L and keep it moving. So we didn't have that one on here, but uh, I just wanted to throw that out there. Really corny reason to start a fight. Uh, Tom, having a ball thrown at you, cash or trash, reason to start a fight. Inspiration here, Charles Barkley and Shaquille O'Neal, of course, started a fight because Charles Barkley chucked a ball at his head and they thus started to fight. So Tom, having a ball thrown at you, cash or trash, reason to start a fight. It's so petty. Throwing a ball at somebody is so petty. And I just think fights always result from something insignificant and petty. And this is just the perfect reason to, like, Shaq and Charles, you know, already kind of guys that were known for some on-court antics. And I think it just fits so perfectly with such an insignificant act, you know, starting this whole thing. And honestly, inside the NBA, they might still be mad at each other about that. So, you know, who knows? For, for the beef to be this long, it's perfect. I love it. Cash. I think it's a fantastic reason to start a fight. And it's mostly because it, this is cash because if you throw a ball at me and you're expecting me not to react, that, I I don't know. I don't even know what to say to that. Like, this is amazing because you're throwing the ball like we're going to fight after I throw this ball. And if you get hit with that ball specifically in the head like Shaq does, your immediate reaction is, oh, I'm going to fight. And the fact that we're okay with the with the ensuing events is why this is cash. There, everyone knows what's about to happen, and we've all accepted it and are okay with it. And those are always the best fights. Everyone is ready. We've laid down what's going to happen, and we're just going to start throwing fisticuffs. We're, we're going to start throwing hands out here, and it's beautiful. It's perfect. It's I agree. A perfect reason to fight is because someone threw a ball at you. Now, Tom, another one here. So famously, Malice of the Palace, we all know about it. Ron Artest was laying on the scorer's table when he was hit with a drink by a fan. That, I think, I don't think a lot of people realize, that is what started the Malice of the Palace, was Ron Artest getting nailed with a drink. So, Tom, having a drink thrown at you, is that a cash or trash reason to start a fight? Like, this is so obviously cash. I mean, you got a fan who probably had three, four too many going in um at you know the pistons fan you know not much else to do in detroit besides watch the pistons and get drunk so i get it but man like what are you supposed to do if a guy lobs one at you like that's just a natural reaction to go swing at him and i don't have any problem with it it was the best fight in sports history resulted because of it so what can i say against it i love it i love it in literally all scenarios this is cash because in any scenario someone throws a drink at you the next move has to be you punch them in the face. 
you're at grandma's funeral. Well, someone just threw a drink at you. We're fighting at grandma's funeral. You're uh, what's an, what's another scenario? I don't even know. You're you're at a sporting event. Someone throws a drink at you. Time to fight. You're in a business meeting and someone chucks a drink across the table at you. Sorry, we're taking the suits off. It's time to fight. Like in every single scenario, this is a good reason to start fighting. I don't know if you have any scenario where a drink can get thrown at you and you can't fight, but I'm fighting in all. Imagine you're on a flight and the flight attendant just chucks a drink at you. It's time to fight. I'm. It's, I guess we're fighting on this plane. We might have to land the plane after, but we're fighting on this plane. Tom, um, they, might, they might open up the emergency door and just throw you out after that. So you gotta be careful with that. See, but uh, if they can throw us out together so we can continue our fight in the air before we die, and maybe maybe there's another angle to that. You know, you, you can try and get them to go down first, and then you really win the fight. I mean... Oh, oh, no, because you win the fight by pinning someone, and they're going to hit the ground a fraction of a second before you do. So you'll die a half a second later, and you'll be the winner. There exactly, it is. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. You're you're picking up what I'm putting down, Tom. You're a you're a smart man over there, Tom. I like it. Family insults was uh, something we were discussing before this. Uh, so, are family insults or cash or trash reason to start a fight? And I'll, I'll give some backstory here. So, everyone remembers Zinedine Zidane famously headbutted a, another guy. To be honest, don't know who the other guy was. In Matarazzi was his last name. Italian dude. Thank Marco you. Marco Matteo uh, in- something. I don't remember. In the 2006 World Cup final with, I believe, the match tied, and it was a very important moment in the match when this happened. So Zidane headbutts this man, and the way the story goes, according to the man who was headbutt, was that he was grabbing Zidane's jersey a lot, and Zidane said, if you want the jersey, you can have it after the game, to which this man responded with, I'd rather have your sister. So Tom, cash or trash reason to start fighting, family insults. This is a little bit of an outlier because I think it is a cash reason to start a fight. But what I will say is situational awareness by Zidane has to be there. You're in a World Cup final that you get to, what, maybe once, twice in your life. And you're in extra time, PK shootout looming. You're the best player on the team. And you let that get to you? Like, that's why he does it. That's why he says that is to get in Zidane's skin. And it worked. And... I respect it so much because it's such a good line and it works. And I've never seen a line like that work in any other scenario. So trash reason to start a fight just because Zidane, like the fight was over before it started. Like Matarazzi won the fight once he said that line. So there's nothing else to say there. Trash. Oh, so you're saying it's trash from Zidane's perspective because he shouldn't have started fighting. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So I'm going to go cash because... I agree with you. Situational awareness, very poor there. He should not have started fighting. However, I I think it's kind of like this. I mean, they say in rap beef, I don't agree with this, but they, they say the one thing in rap beef is, you know, you don't go after family. You keep family out of it. And... I, I think that's similar to real fights. You know, keep it keep it between you and me. If you got anything to say, say it to me. But once you start bringing the family into it, all right, all right. Like, now we uh, we got to start fighting. Now, the smart thing by Zidane would have been to win and then go headbutt him. That would have been beautiful. But, Hit him you know, over the head he, with the trophy, yeah. Amazing. But, you know, he did it in the moment. I can't fault the man. You know, if that's really what was said to him, 
And he's he, he <laughs> what I find funny about that incident, right, is the thing that went through his head was not I'm gonna throw a punch, I'm gonna kick him, I'm gonna headbutt this man square in the chest. That's how upset he was by whatever was said to him. That he decided he was gonna level his strongest headbutt possible into this man's sternum. And that must have meant it's a great reason to fight. He's not clueless. I mean, like, it's a red card if you use your hands. That's the whole premise of soccer. So you got to go with the head. I mean, it, it, it's what it is with Zidane there. Uh, I, I completely forgot that, you know, we can't use hands in soccer. Tom, you, you've you really just solved the whole thing. So I, that's the thing, right? Could he have had an opportunity to do this more discreetly? You know, like, they both go out for a head ball and he just doesn't hit the ball at all. He just hits him square in the chest. Like, oh, I was jumping for the ball and I got into his chest. Like... He could have hid this a little better. So like I said, situational awareness is still trash. But the reason why he did it is cash. Very good reason to start a fight. Uh, Tom, last, certainly not least, uh, breaking the unwritten rules of baseball. So those are famously, you know, you got to avoid the hard slide. You you got to can't flip bats. You can't. uh, What are some other unwritten rules of baseball? I, I don't even know them all. You don't celebrate after a, after a strikeout. You know you don't. You oh don't yeah, you show have to be up boring. the opposition. Yeah, yeah. You basically, be as boring as possible, much like the game you're playing. Uh, this obviously came up when Jose Bautista and how do you say his first name? Something Odor. Rugned. Rugned. Rugned Odor. What a name. Uh, got into a fight, basically stemming from the year before when Jose Bautista bat flipped his way into the hearts of everyone. Uh, after a huge home run in the playoffs against the Rangers. So, Tom, breaking the unwritten rules of baseball, cash or trash reason to start a fight? It's I'm so sick of hearing the unwritten rules. Like, get off my lawn, all this type of people that just scream like old baseball New York Times writers. Like, the 27 Yankees were the best team to ever be. They were so good. You know, they didn't do all this garbage with the shift back in the day. Baseball sucks with the unwritten, with the unwritten rules. Like, I'm sorry. So... As much as possible, like, I love seeing the odors of the world. I, I think both of these guys are cash because you've got the bat flip is electric, the punch is electric. So every aspect of this is cash. I think it's a great reason to start a fight. Just, like, because fighting is almost an unwritten rule in of in and of itself. Is that I, the, bullpen, the bullpen thing is a little weird. You know when the guys, like, run in from the bullpen and the fight's already over? Like, the, those guys are out of shape. Let's be honest, bullpen guys. Like, it, it, by the time you get there, the fight's over. Like... Most of the baseball brawls are just people kind of go out there and they stand around and they like yell at each other. And then you've got the rare moments that like Bryce Harper throws his helmet and whiffs or like Pedro Martinez takes down Don Zimmer, who was like 80 years old at the time. Those are the real fights. And that's what I miss. Those are cash. But like the rest of them, eh. but the unwritten rules suck. That's my biggest takeaway. And anything that's against them is great. So you said cash because they're breaking the unwritten rules. And this is exactly why it's trash. And you kind of already hit on the unwritten rules sucking, but the reason it sucks is because they're doing it because you somehow broke some sort of rule. You broke this unwritten, well, you can't, he flipped his bat, so how dare he do that? We need to fight him the next time we see him. And to me, my opinion, if there were no unwritten rules and they still had some fisticuffs over this, now that is cash. Because that means, ooh, he did something I didn't like. I just don't like this man now. First moment I get, I'm swinging on him. That would make this so much better. If Odor was just like, you know what? He hit that long home run against us last year. I'm just going to punch him next time I see him. Instead, it was this is whole... Is that not well, what he did? Is that not what he did? 
No, no, his beef was the fact he flipped the bat. If Bautista just hits that home run and drops the bat, you know, runs it out, nice little, you know, home run trot, this probably never happens. His beef was the fact he flipped his bat. If he flipped his bat and he was still upset about it, not because this was some sort of unwritten rule, I think this is so much better. If I think that's what just, happened, though. That's what I'm saying. I think that's I, why I he swung at him. Okay. I think he's upset about it being this some sort of rule that he's not allowed to flip his bat. And... And, you know, it's this idea, I would never do that, so I'm going to make sure he never does it again. And to me, it's just better if you're upset about the home run. Like, you know what? This guy hit a home run. You know, he said something to me on the way by. I'm going to punch him the next opportunity I get. Oh, so, okay, I see what you're saying. Odor was mad at Bautista for showing them up the previous year. Not about you. the fact that you got whooped. Got it. Not the fact that they lost, but the fact that he he showed them up. All right, fair. Yes. Fair. Like, he, I, I would just, I would enjoy the punch if there were many other reasons why he punched him. So it's trash because he's mad about rules that literally nobody knows anyway. Uh, Tom, we had, that's the end of Casher Trash, and we had a few more topics that we want to discuss. Uh, we can pick one. We have two that we wanted to talk about. The Eagles game is about to start, so we're going to do one. Tom, would you like to talk about Trevor Lawrence, or would you like to talk about Daryl Morey? I'd I'd rather talk Lawrence, but you're the Philly guy. We can talk we can talk Maury. Tom, you're a genius man because I was going to talk about Daryl Maury, whether or not it didn't matter which one you picked. I was going to talk about Daryl Maury anyway. The host. You pick. Come on, I wouldn't <laughs> been able to choose. Tom Daryl Maury, as you said once, and I edited it out of a podcast. It, it turns out you were a soothsayer. Maybe, maybe I'll drop the audio in here right here. But at one point, we were recording, and Tom made the proclamation that Daryl Maury was now the general manager. <laughs> Uh, president basketball <laughs> operations of the Philadelphia 76ers. And it was a lie. It was not true at the time. All right, David, uh, we're running out of time, but uh, we'd be remiss if we did not talk about uh, probably the biggest move of the NBA since we've last been on. Obviously, the Lakers won the championship. We talked about that last time, but Daryl Morey out in Houston. He is into Philadelphia. Philadelphia fans have been, done nothing but complain about management for the last two years, as they should, as they should. And uh, Daryl Morey, I, I think it's a great fit. I think Morey's a guy that can implement his system and be good anywhere he goes. But wait, what? Like as a Sixers fan, what's the? He's not. He's not in Philly. What is he doing? I thought he was going to Philly. No, he just stepped down. I thought. Where did I read that he went to Philly? I don't. I, I hadn't seen that. I, I've seen speculation that I he should he go would. to Philly. I don't know why I saw that. Maybe maybe I missed something. We should fact check this. No, you didn't miss it. You would know. Turns out Tom could just see the future because now president of basketball operations, I believe, I think that's his title, is Daryl Moore. He has joined the Philadelphia 76ers. He'll oversee the day-to-day of the Sixers, uh, you know, that trade, signings. He'll basically be the one who gives all the marching orders. So, Tom, just kind of off top, what your thoughts on Daryl Moore becoming the general manager, whatever. He's not the general manager, the president of basketball operations of the Philadelphia 76ers. First off, Nostra Thomas, yes or no? Oh, I kind of like it. I'm not going to lie. I didn't okay. want to like it, but I liked it. It was almost so bad I wouldn't have hated you if you didn't like it, but all right, we, we can work with that. I got to get more than one, but as I, I said in my faux... I liked it. it as I said so in my bad. I liked it. As I said in my faux analysis when I thought he was actually the general manager that I incorrectly read on Twitter, but, you know, people lie on Twitter all the time, whatever. It's a great hire, right? Like, Philadelphia needs something. The one thing I don't get is, like, Elton Brand is still around, 
so like what's what's the relationship there like what is Maury actually doing versus brand i don't know maybe the sixers guy you have more insight on that kind of thing but brand has always seemed like the problem and i think the the issue more is that he's still there not that Maury isn't but he changed the game and i think it starts with getting more of the players that are going to fit Maury's system and that's been a problem from the get-go so you don't necessarily solve any of your problems off the get-go but you have the right guy in place to kind of set the future for a team that has a lot of cornerstones, but they're not typical NBA cornerstones. You know, you got big men, you got guys that maybe can't shoot as well that are your cornerstones. And I think they have value, but if anyone's going to find the most value out of those guys, it's Daryl Morey. I think it's a great hire. So it's funny you mentioned like, you know, the, the, the pro the Elton brand still being on the staff. Cause I think that's the, it's very confusing cause he got an extension today. So not only is he on the staff, he's going to be on the staff long term. So, you know, you have Daryl Morey at the top who they hired last. You have the guy at the top hired last after a head coach. You didn't get to pick his head coach. So you have Daryl Morey at the top. You have Elton brand underneath him as kind of, I guess, second in command and then Doc Rivers is the guy handling, you know, the team operations of it. I, I think, let's put it this way. I think, also, by the way, the Eagles game is starting. I just need to get this beef out of the way. The fact the Eagles have decided Jason Peters is the guy they need to start this week instead of Jordan. I think Jordan Milatis might still be playing. But uh, Jason Peters should not still be playing in the NFL. I'm sorry. This I'm very upset about this. Now I've just seen it. But Tom, back to Daryl Morey. Let's go back to a competently run franchise, the Philadelphia 76ers. Who would have thought I would have been saying that? Whoa, 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 whoa. No, no. You got to edit that that out. You got to edit that out. Competent and 76ers? The team that's won a ring in the last three years, you're going to call the incompetent franchise versus the team that gave up Jimmy Butler? Okay. Currently, yes. In the current iteration, yes. So this is the thing I had said. I I think the thing that will be interesting with Daryl Morey and Philly, and this is kind of the thing I've kind of hated about this whole conversation. People keep talking about, will he get rid of Joel Embiid or Ben Simmons? And to me... The more interesting thing here is he already has his two cornerstones. He has the two guys who he can build around in Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. When he had when he had the Rockets, right, he had Yao Ming who he tried to build around, but then saw an opportunity to get James Harden, immediately jumped on it and tried to get him. And to me, the interesting thing here is he doesn't have to go and get the guy. He has two people who you can see as the guys. They are the people to build the team around. He just needs to get the extra pieces. He needs to get everybody else. And that's what he's been so good at. He's been so good at taking what he already has and surrounding surrounding them with what is needed and making them as good as possible. You know, you, you take James Harden and Russell Westbrook, and what do you say? Well, Russell Westbrook can't shoot. How do you fix that? You get rid of a center and you put a bunch of shooters around him to open up the paint for Russell Westbrook. You know, you you have James Harden. He's very ball dominant. What do you do? You get a bunch of guys who don't need the basketball so he can dominate the ball and just find guys, open shooters. You know, you get a bunch of shooters. And to me, that's what he's always been so good at is identifying what is needed, adjusting to the league, making different, making um, trades as necessary and just doing your thing. And I, I think it's very impressive what he was able to do in Houston. And I'd be surprised if he wasn't able to make a contender out of the Philadelphia 76ers as soon as next season. You're uh, you're in his shoes. You're David Morey now. What's the first thing you do? You have to you have to get rid of Al Horford. That's the very first thing you have to do. <sighs> Good luck. If it, to me, so I think a team can be talked into Al Horford, and here's why. 
What you can convince yourself on Al Horford was he didn't fit that team. They're asking him to play power forward. He's a true center. He'd fit better if we played him in our system at center. Would a team like say, I, I don't know if they do this deal because they just made a deal for Capella last year, but if the Hawks still had, you know, if they didn't have Capella, would they have convinced themselves Al Horford's exactly what we need? He's a veteran presence. He adds to our defense where we desperately need defense. And he's going to give us enough on offense. He'll give us 15 and 8 on offense. You know, I think the, the hard part would be finding a suitor, but I, I think there will be a suitor for Al Horford. What about the Wizards? If Beal and Wall are healthy? That's an interesting one because Bertans is a guy that would f- pair perfectly next to Al Horford because he doesn't need to dominate the paint. Uh, I guess the question is, who are they sending back? Because yeah. Daryl Morey, I think historically, always, almost always makes good deals. You know, he he in general makes deals that make sense for his team, and I, I couldn't really remember many times he lost the trade. Uh, I think the trade he's going to try and make is for Chris Paul, and I just don't think that trade is going to be feasible but it the first move he should do is to try and trade Al Horford and I actually don't mind them keeping Tobias Harris because I, I think a lot of the blame Tobias Harris gets is they were asking him to be the, the first option the second option come playoffs when in reality he's best designed as your third option and when he's your third option behind Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons I think he's a much better player, but as soon as he gets elevated to that third op to that second option behind Joel Embiid, I just don't think he works. And I think his skill set actually works really well next to Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons because he's a big guy that can shoot. He can step out, he can guard the three, he can shoot, he can get his bucket. You know, imagine you sit those two guys down. You still feel good about him being out there with the second unit. You don't think they're going to collapse around Tobias Harris. So uh, that's that's kind of my thing. I, I I think he's worth keeping, and now Horford's got to go i love it uh, good luck finding a suitor for horford because anyone good that you can get value from is, is not going to want him but uh, that, that's the beauty with horford last thing before uh i go because of the eagles game would you do and this would never happen but i feel like it's a fun what if would you do al horford for gordon hayward hayward's injury problems have been well documented so current situation yes but so the horford you're, you're but the horford H. the horford contract i don't know the Hor- so like hayward hayward doesn't have a great contract and it looks like you know dollar store compared to what horford's contract is it, it's weird because i i look at that trade right and that when you say it out loud it's like wow that that trade kind of makes sense for both teams it's probably not going to happen because of the two teams that are involved but i i think i think it's interesting because celtics need a center i i don't i wouldn't say that uh what white guy with all the tattoos what's his name tice tice daniel tice is is not shouldn't be your starting center and and Al, Al Horford, I think, would, you know, I, I think it hurt when they lost him and he would still be really good in that system. And I think Gordon Hayward is exactly what you need next to Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. Maybe he's not as good of a three-point shooter as I think he is. I mean, maybe you can speak to that. But I think he would be a perfect piece starting, even at shooting guard, if they still want to play big, I think he'd be a good shooting guard for that team. There's a little bit of Simmons in Hayward in that the injuries always seem to come at times that you you never quite get like the full how well does this player interact with this team because they just haven't been healthy enough and i think 
if Hayward on the four-year contract is healthy for all four years, you know, they'd probably win the East this year. And, you know, I don't know if they beat the Lakers, but they're in a lot better place. And it just hasn't worked out. And that's the way it is sometimes. And I think there's I – don't, I don't think they lose a ton by not having Hayward with his injury problems. If he can be as healthy as he is, he's never going to be back to what he was in Utah. But there's a room for him. There's a place for him on the Celtics more than there's a place for, Hay- for Horford on the Sixers. So in that sense – the Sixers are gaining more from the trade, but Horford's a good guy to have on the team. It's just his contract for, for any team. You know, you're not going to complain about a veteran center, but a lot of work to be done there. Well, we'll see what Daryl Morey can do with uh, all that work that you mentioned. He is now the head man of the Philadelphia 76ers. Very exciting time for Philadelphia sports fans. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys just kicked a field goal to go up 3 nothing. So you know, this will be fun for people tomorrow because I'm either going to be very mad tonight at the, the Eagles for losing this game, or if they lose, I am not watching the Eagles for the rest of the football season. I put that on record. I am, I'm going to stick by that. If they lose this game to the third string, Ben DiNucci, starting for the Dallas Cowboys, I will not watch another Eagles game this year. As I don't know if I'll watch another Penn State game this year because I was thoroughly bored by that game the other day and stopped watching in the second quarter. So, Tom, any parting shots before I go watch the Eagles? Uh, two for you. First off, Ben DiNucci, the pride of James Madison University, Harrisonburg, Virginia. Shout out a lot of friends that were alum there. Great school. Second thought is the Washington football team is lurking. That's all I'll say. The Washington football team is lurking. Very, uh, the Josh, what's his name? Uh, Kyle Allen. The Kyle Allen led, uh, Washington football team. How long till Alex Smith starts there again? I don't know. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Tom, that's it for this edition of There's a Lot Going On. If you made it this far, make sure you go give us five stars on iTunes. I got to start saying this at the beginning of the podcast. If you also made it this far, clearly you love the podcast. And that means you should probably be sharing this with your friends. Share this with one friend, you know, try to help us out. Try and get us some more listeners here on There's a Lot Going On. You know, if you love it, your friends will love it. Of course, that's how this works. So thank you for listening to another edition of There's a Lot Going On, and we'll catch you here next week.